0: And welcome back to another edition of Champs Corner featuring Mark Jennings. I'm your host, Drew Champlin. We've got a great podcast on hand. Alabama got a big commitment in football last week. Huge high school game between uh, commitments, Paul Tyson and Talia Tungavailoa on Friday night that we'll talk to Mark Jennings about. And then we had such a big turnout, such such a big uh, following from our podcast last week with Bama Pro Updates. We have another special guest on. We'll get to former Alabama prolific three-point and free-throw shooter, also the color radio and analyst for the basketball games. We'll get to Brian Passink later on. But first, uh, Mark Jennings, I know you're a busy man. How are you doing? Drew,
1: as always, it is a pleasure to be on your podcast. I know some fans are probably a little down this week that that Alabama wasn't playing. A lot of teams had bye weeks this week. But it was a great week for me. I have to catch up on my uh high school film i need to break down i got to attend a, a big time high school football game this week so i'm doing fantastic drew how are you doing
0: i'm doing really well and let's talk about alabama's commitment braylon ingram six four two sixty, from st thomas aquinas in fort lauderdale and i know you're very familiar with that area mark down in south florida it's one of your favorite uh hot spots i think you've got a favorite restaurant down there but tell us a little bit about uh about Braylon Ingram's commitment to Alabama.
1: Well, he's a six foot four, two 260-pound uh, defensive lineman. He's got a lot of size. He's a guy who's he's a currently an end. He could grow into an interior player. He's actually a four-star recruit by the recruiting rankings, but you know what that means. You can't take those for a grain of salt. But this guy, he's really underrated. I have him as a five-star player. Uh, he's just a guy gonna able to disrupt the defense, not only just be able to rush the quarterback, be able to plug the holes against the best offensive linemen in college football, he's just a fantastic player. Uh, I'm a little bit disappointed, to be honest. He didn't have this commitment ceremony at, at the Tilted Kilt. You know, Der- Jerry Judy and, and Auburn Sharns Sivers had their commitments at the Tilted Kilt, and I think that, uh, I'm kind of disappointed that Braylon Ingraham didn't either. You know, I, I love the Tilt to Kilt. The, the food is fantastic there. Frankly, I'm not a, a food critic by any means. I break down high school film, but he's a guy, you know, Tilt Kilt really should be a three-star Michelin star restaurant by the quality of their food. And I wish that everybody would have their commitment ceremonies at the tilt of kill. But Braylon Ingram didn't. That's his choice, and he gets to make the decisions that he wants. But he's a fantastic player. I love him a lot. He'd be a fantastic guy. The next great right defensive lineman for Coach Saban over there. He reminds me a lot of a guy, when I break down his high school film, you know, the way he disrupts the, the offense, and, and really just a problem for offensive coordinators. Reminds me a guy by the name of Marlon Davidson. Do you remember Marlon Davidson?
0: Is this the same Marlon Davidson who went to Greenville High School, played his junior year at Carver and Montgomery with Mack Wilson, that guy? That's the same
1: Marlon Davidson, Drew. I'm impressed by your memory uh, and your football knowledge. It gets better every week. But, yeah, he reminds me a lot of Marlon Davidson, the way he plays the game. He could be the next first-round draft pick uh, at, at the defensive line position for Coach Saban.
0: Yeah, that's a great comparison. Braylon Ingram, commitment number 21 for Alabama. Their recruiting class is ranked number one overall. And, Mark, I know you've been doing some traveling this weekend, right? Have you made it back home yet?
1: I haven't, Drew. If, if, if you're having problems hearing me, I'm on the phone in my car right now driving through the driving through the stick, coming back from a secret uh, secret scrimmage I can't tell you about. It. I apologize. I probably shouldn't even brought it up if I can't tell you about it. But I've been driving a lot with uh, a big-time high school game Friday, if that's what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah, let's get to that. This was the Hewitt-Trustville at Thompson game. It was really for the region championship in this daunting Class 7A Region 3. And uh, it was on ESPN2. I had a chance to watch it on, uh, on TV from my house, and they showed the sideline several times. And, and, Mark, I think I saw you about three or four times. And... um trustable was up 28 to nothing to start. Paul Tyson off to a big start, but then Talia Tongaviloa and Thompson rallied back to beat Uwetruville 63 to 49. I think both teams had over 600 yards of total offense. And uh, Mark, I, obviously, you, you garnered a lot of attention at the game as well, right?
1: Well, Drew, I got I have scores of text messages from from Friday night uh, from people telling me they saw me. I'm hard to miss. You know, I go six one, about 340 pounds. So I'm pretty hard to miss over there on that sideline, but uh, uh, yeah, you know, I was there. It was a great game. I loved watching those players out there going ahead and uh and play offense. You know, you look at Kalia Tagvilada and 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 Paul Tyson. You know, you're looking at two guys that are you know incredibly advanced at the high school letter at high school level, and guys who can go anywhere in the country and 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 eventually be a starting quarterback. I think it's real impressive of them. It says a lot about their character that they're both willing really to go to the same school and competing against each other.
0: Yeah, some final stats. Uh, Paul Tyson went 14 of 23, 275 yards, three touchdowns and an interception. Talia uh also 14 of 23, 264 and two touchdowns. But he rushed uh, 12 times for 158 yards and three touchdowns. And I thought that was a big game changer, Mark. And that's not something, you know, Tolia can obviously do it. He's a heck of an athlete. He's got a tremendous arm. But what was different about this game uh, for Talia and, and his rushing totals?
1: Well, you know, you mentioned it, Drew. A lot of the quarterback, you know, when you break down quarterback film, you know, people look at the arm strength and the ability to read a defense. They completely ignore what they can do with your feet, and and being able to to break down when the play breaks down, be able to make a play with your feet that that's a pretty big deal. Uh, you know, in Thompson started the game down twenty eight nothing. And, you know, my good friend Coach Mark Freeman over there for Thompson's over there coaching him. He's doing – you know, he's a great coach. I think he's one of the best coaches in the state of Alabama, to be real honest with you. He's over there, and he's flying too much on, on Talia, and they're just peeing off on him. And, and I told him, you know, you got you to run in some, some run plays. Let Talia lose, use his feet and, and, and make some plays. And, and let him let – him, let, let the 11th guy on offense, quarterback, make him be a running threat. And I sent a little note to him about uh, a few minutes left, probably, probably about midway to the second quarter, and, and he got. He started calling more running plays for for Talia, and and he uh yeah, and and it was all history from there on out. Talia and Thompson rallied down for twenty eight nothing. They were down twenty eight nothing when I sent the note. Ended up winning sixty three to forty nine. And and you know Talia's feet are really a weapon, and they need to be. And it, it's a weapon that needs to be used. You know, it's not different from Tua. Tua has great feet. You know, there's great speed, great athleticism, uh, and there's really a weapon back there in the running game, and that's something that Coach Freeman wasn't doing or wasn't using with Talia. And I sent him a little note, and and before you know it, Talia's out there running the ball, and and they come back and and you score a big, big big victory over Hewitt Russell.
0: Yeah, I know each quarterback had an interception, but when you when you break down the film of those two interceptions real quick, was it was it their fault or was it the receiver's fault?
1: Well, it, you know. Uh Paul Tyson's interception is late in the game. It was the receiver's fault. It hit hit off his hand. Uh you know, Talia is a bit of concern. Uh you know, his interception. He couldn't see the guy who was there covering him because Talia is a little short. Uh he's not he's even shorter than Tua if you can imagine. So that's a that's a significant problem for him for breaking down his his capacity as an NFL quarterback. But as a college quarterback, he'll be able to develop that skill and be able to recognize even despite of his height uh, where the defenders are. So I'm not real worried about him at the college level. All
0: right. And uh, uh, Ed Orgeron, the LSU head coach, got a lot of TV time. And I think I think on one of them, maybe I saw you over there, kind of close to him. I couldn't tell you if, you if you were talking to him at the time, but they did show Ed Orgeron a lot. He's trying to recruit some Thompson players, offered Jeremiah Alexander, the freshman linebacker, about a week after our podcast on him and – um you know, obviously Alabama's at LSU on Saturday at seven o'clock on CBS. So did you get a chance to talk with Coach Orgeron?
1: I did. You know, I know what Coach Orgeron from his days at South of Force High School over there, with Bobby A. Bear. You know, I was telling everybody who would listen that that Bobby Bear, which is, is a big time uh college player, would be a big time college player, but nobody listened to him going to Northwestern State and Ed Orgeron joined him. So I've known Ed for a long time. We've been real good friends forever. Uh but honestly I told him he was there, you know. You are wasting your time with Talia. He's not going to L S U, he's going to Alabama. But I understand why he was there, you know. Until Talia signs those papers, his recruitment's still open. So I understand. But I I had a good time catching up with Coach on talking about what he's planning to do for the game next Saturday. Uh but yeah, it was nice seeing him again, if that's what you're asking.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's some good football talk, but let's uh Let's shift gears and let's spend most of this podcast talking about basketball because the Alabama basketball season gets started on Tuesday with an exhibition at 7 o'clock against Montevallo at Coleman Coliseum. We are recording this on a Sunday night, and uh, November 6th is when the regular season gets started, a home game against Southern out of Baton Rouge, and our guest tonight will be Brian Passink. He does the uh, color analyst with Chris Stewart for the Alabama basketball games. Going into, I believe, his 16th season uh, or 19th overall, or yeah, 16th overall, excuse me. And, uh, but this is a guy, Mark, you were very familiar with him when he played at, at Benedictine and in, in Benedictine in, in Savannah, Georgia. Was named to the Greater Savannah Athletic Hall of Fame this year. Well deserved. Uh, many years too late, in my opinion. Uh, scored 20 more than 2,400 points in his career. Uh, played three seasons at Alabama and, um, and, Mark, he's a guy that you're very familiar with from back in the late 80s, late eighties, early 90s, right, as a player.
1: Well, that's correct. You know, I was talking to, to Wimp Sanderson in the early 90s. He said he needed a shooter to fa- fill out this year's recruiting class. And he didn't know who to get. So I pointed him a guy to Savannah, Georgia, a guy I'd followed a lot. You know, I'd gone see seen in person uh, when he was at Benedictine, get Statesboro and Effingham County and Jenkins and Winter Forest. And I said, you know, Coach Sanderson and Coach Polinski who I've known forever, uh, I, I told Coach Polinski you've got to take a look at this guy. And and they did and they broke down a film and two days later a scholarship offers on the table. So I've known I've known about this player forever and I'm glad that you know I was able to use my sources and my expertise to be able to help him uh succeed in his basketball career.
0: Yeah, well with that being said, let me look at Brian pass it on to the Champs Corner podcast. Brian, how you doing?
2: Doing great, Drew and, and Mark. I, I'm a huge fan of the podcast and um you know obviously with my history with Mark it's just an honor to be on with you guys
0: yeah uh you can follow Mark on Twitter at uh, markjennings55 and, and Brian i believe your twitter handles your first and last name right
2: that's right at brian passing pretty easy
0: at, at brian passing um t- br- mark how well did you get to know brian when when you were breaking down his film and and you were maybe maybe uh following his recruiting process
1: well, this is a this is a situation, you know how how it is where you try to get to know people and you try to know their the people around them and you know the influences of, of that's gonna, you know, factor into their decision of where they're gonna go play college basketball. I got pretty close to the passing family. I actually went over to their house for Thanksgiving, uh, back his senior year of high school and, and I'm still bad at Brian. He won't give me his mother's green bean casserole re- recipe. My wife's trying to replicate it, she can never get it right. Uh but that's neither here nor there. But I I've known the past things forever. Now I just wanna say it's that uh you know, strange way the world works it's a small world that we're appearing on this podcast together. Brian, it's good to see you again and,
2: and I hope
1: when the podcast is over you tell your parents hello for me.
2: Well I, I sure will. And it just it seems like that was just yesterday and uh hard to believe. It's been you know, a couple gosh, probably a couple decades ago, twenty plus years and uh man, I'm just so appreciative of what you did and And I remember uh, Mark coming around and and my dad, who, you know, was was around the college game, a professional game, he understood the impact that that Mark had in in college basketball and college sports and, um, you know, it it had you over. And I remember that time was a lot of fun. Uh, But really, you know, when I look back at my career and and where it's led me uh, to Alabama and your role with Coach Polinski and and Coach Sanderson, um, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't be talking to you guys and in my 16th year uh after a a successful playing career at the, at the college level and then had a chance to play a little bit uh professionally uh without that so I'm very appreciative and just excited to be with you guys
0: that's fantastic and Brian played on uh, was it you played on both of the NCAA tournament teams in the early 90s correct
2: yeah that's right my freshman year we were, uh, that I was redshirted uh, we had some guys that could play a little bit, like uh, Robert Ory and Latrell Sprewell, and uh, those guys were, were seniors, and we went to the NCAA tournament uh, that year, and then uh, and then a couple years after that, so uh, the four years that, that I was there at Alabama, we went to three NCAA tournaments. I, I played with eight NBA players, uh, a ton of talent at, at that time, and uh, it, it was a good time in the SEC, and I think Alabama's Hopefully getting back to that with an NCAA tournament last year and a chance to go uh back to back this year. Uh hopefully Al- Alabama will get back to that level that we saw in the, in the late 80s and early 90s and in my opinion that was a glory days for Alabama basketball and and hopefully uh th- that that will be headed towards that here again very soon.
0: Absolutely. And you had a chance to play a, a, one more season at Alabama but you graduated and then how did you end up playing pro ball in Israel for a year?
2: Well, you know, I, I never really thought that was a possibility. Um, you know, I didn't have the most successful career at Alabama in, in terms of, of points and rebounds. Had, had some guys that, uh, that, from a talent standpoint, that, that, that were uh, the best in the world that went on to be first round draft picks. But I did get to play some and, and had some, some success, I guess, enough to um, have a chance to play uh, in Israel at the professional level. And I met uh, Jason Caffey's agent who had some connections over there. And, um, you know, I know that got some help from Mark at the high school level. And, uh, you know, and, and I know that he, he continued to put in a good word for me, uh, even at the professional level. So that certainly didn't hurt, uh, to say the least. That was very helpful. But was able to go to Israel and uh, play professionally for a year. Never never thought that I'd have a chance to really to play uh, at, at a major college level uh, in the SEC at Alabama and then have a chance to play uh, professionally. You know, as a kid, you dream of playing professional basketball. Uh, usually that's in the NBA And when I had a chance to go and, and, and make make a little money and, and playing the game that I love. It was a dream come true and was, was uh, happy I was able to do it.
0: Okay, and before we get to what we found on the Internet about the start of Alabama's season, how, how did you get into the position to where you are? Tell us a little bit about your, your real job and then, you know, how, how you got connected to be on the Alabama broadcast with Chris Stewart.
2: Yeah, um, you know, I've been in, in sales and medical sales uh, for for a long time. And, and uh, I guess it was about 16, 17 years ago, uh, they were looking, Crimson Tide Sports Network was looking for a former player uh, to join the broadcast. And so I, I had a little experience with going on different radio shows and, and just love the game of basketball and enjoy talking uh, hoops any, any any chance I get. Uh, so I had a little experience with that, and they were looking for a former player. And uh, went in and interviewed, had a had a tape, and uh, they brought me on as a sideline reporter, did that for a couple of years, and that was a, a fun experience. I got to sit behind the Alabama bench during – um, Mark Godfrey era and listen in to the huddles and learned a lot from from him from the coaches and then would report that uh, back to the listener and then uh, when uh, Tom Roberts stepped down retired had a chance to come in and, and move into his spot as a color analyst and Chris and I have been working together along with Tom Stipe uh, for the last 16 years and it has been so much fun to continue to be a part of of alabama basketball playing there and loving the university and loving the basketball program and having a passion for it uh... to be still connected to it uh... this many years later has been terrific and you know Avery johnson coming in and, and treating former players the way he has and treating the broadcast crew the way he has uh... has just been so much fun and uh... he's not only a terrific coach but but a great man and uh... he's been so much fun to be around so excited about this year starting up here in about a week
0: okay how how is it that you know, obviously you've got a, a, the real job and you're a family man um what's your preparation for these games like do you have any specific routine you know a couple of days leading up to games or, or whatnot
2: yeah you know i I do a lot of my preparation this time of year and and it, it's funny i i, I kind of use it as an excuse now i've always I uh, love college basketball and we get all the preseason magazines and read and try to learn as much as I can about Alabama and the opponents. And, you know, my wife used to get on to me because all I was doing is uh, watching basketball and, and reading mag- magazines and, and that sort of thing. And uh, and now I get to have an excuse because I'm, I'm preparing. I'm getting ready for the season. And, and so I'm able to do that. But it's been something that's just been a passion of mine and Uh, And that's the sport of basketball and being connected with it. And so this time of year, I'm reading the preseason magazines. I'm going to practices uh, from time to time, talking to the coaches, um, you know, and and just looking in-depth at at Alabama's non-conference schedule uh, and and also looking at what some of the teams around the conference are doing, what they have back, what their recruiting looks like. Uh, I don't spend as much time on the the SEC opponents right now as I will – uh, as we get closer to conference time. And usually by the time I get to the SEC season, I've seen all the league teams so many times on TV uh, that I am I feel more prepared. And it's really the games against teams that I'm not as familiar with that I spend the most time on. Alabama opens uh, with Southern University, so trying to dig into to teams like Southern and Appalachian State and, and Northeastern. Those are teams that you, you aren't on TV a lot, uh, but they're they're very good teams, and and uh, for Alabama, it's it's going to be a tough schedule. But for me, as an analyst, uh, that's what I'm spending my time on right now. But you know, I I don't want to I don't want to pretend like it's hard work. It, it's a it's a joy for me. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I guess the only thing for me is I, I look at teams uh, like like Northeastern and and Georgia State and and some of these schools that maybe the average fan doesn't know about know as much about. But uh, they're really good teams, and Alabama's schedule. Stephen F. Austin is another one that's on the schedule that I'm I'm looking at those teams and saying, "Wow!" Uh, last year was one of Alabama's toughest non-conference schedules uh, in the history of the program, and there's not much uh, n- not much difference in this year's non-conference schedule as well. You have the big name teams on there uh, that get the the attention of the fans, but there's also a lot of uh, programs on there like like Northeastern, who's Pick to win their league. Uh, they're they're expected to win the American East Conference this year. Alabama opens up with them in a couple of weeks in the Charleston Classic, and that is an outstanding team that's probably going to the NCAA tournament. So that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and can't wait for the year. Uh, Ron, just a, just a sidebar.
1: Uh, I just want you to know if you know I have my my evaluations of the Southern and Montevallo rosters that and, you know, when this is over, you give me an email, and I'll give you my player comparisons and, and and their strength and weaknesses, and you can contact me, and I'll get you that information.
2: Well, Mark, I'm absolutely going to do that, and I really appreciate it. That's very helpful in my preparation, no doubt about
0: it. Yeah. Uh, you're going to be calling these games with Chris Stewart, and, and most everybody knows by now that Chris uh, – and he will tell you this. He, he will tell everybody this. He's very lucky to be alive. He suffered a stroke in in the late spring. And really for him, his, his wife was able to be there, or his wife was there when it happened and, and got him to safety. And I had a chance to see Chris a couple of weeks back at a football game. He's calling high school games on football night, uh, football Friday nights for, for the local TV station and then going over and doing his Alabama football duties. And, and Brian, you know Chris a lot better than I do. Uh how how's he doing and, and how excited are are you to be back with him uh for for yet another season of basketball?
2: Well, he he's doing great and uh he he's back and, and better than ever. Uh we worked together uh for the, the Alabama Pro Day and, and spent uh gosh, two hours on the air together and, and it felt like old times. And it was special for me because of what he went through from a, a health standpoint and uh when you know in april when we heard what had happened uh, there was a lot of worry and it was a very serious situation a lot of prayers and and fortunately he was able uh to to not just make it and come through which that was definitely a concern uh but he doesn't have any effects from it i mean he's he's got a, a few things that are are all but uh, 100% and uh, from an on air standpoint uh has not missed a beat uh he was he was uh the best play-by-play guy that I've ever been around uh before and still continues that and I uh, really excited always to work with Chris because he's so good at what he does and he's a great person he's a a, a great friend uh to me but this year I think is going to be even more special because of what he went through and uh and and how fortunate we all are uh to have Chris back on the broadcast this year
0: Absolutely. We're glad to have Chris back. Uh, looking back at your broadcasting career, what's one thing, before we get to talking about this team and stuff like that, what's one thing that really stands out to you from uh, anything that may have happened while you were actually calling the game?
2: Well, the good thing for me is I'm I'm sitting next to Chris, and and he is the ultimate professional. Uh, he, he's prepared for every situation, and I guess the one that stands out is uh, the tornado game that ESPN did a 30-for-30 30 30 on. And when Mikhail Riley hit the shot, a tornado hit the Georgia Dome. And, um, you know, we didn't know what was going on at the time. Some people thought, including myself uh, initially, that, that it may be a, a terrorist attack. We, we had no idea what was going on. And the scoreboard was swinging above us. And, and uh, oh, by the way, we're on the air. We are live on the air, yeah. Chris and I. and And I'm looking over at him and, like, Man, what do I do? I'm just a, you know, former player who's in medical sales. I'm not I mean, I, I I'm not a, a professional broadcaster, Chris. How do you handle this? And of course, uh there, there's uh there's no way to prepare for a situation like that, but uh it, we were we were on the air for about an hour where we didn't know what was going on. We didn't have commercial breaks and we didn't have a game going on in front of us. So, uh Chris and I were turned into to meteorologist and, and explaining the damage to the Georgia Dome at the time. And uh, that was something that I will never forget. But, you know, when I look back at, at the 16 years we've spent together, um, you know, I, I've, I've admired Chris and Tom Stite because they are so good at what they do. They help me out so much. Make it easy on me uh, to just show up and, and uh, prepare, but but just tell them what I see and explain why some of the things are going on. Uh, on the court as an analyst, and so they've helped me become better and better, and uh, and also they've become great friends. We have a terrific time on the road, and uh, looking forward to doing that uh, again this year.
1: Ron, I need I need to apologize. Uh, I didn't uh, because I didn't develop my expertise and develop my weather models uh, until very recently. I feel that if I had you know, become a meteorology and climatology expert that I am now, I could have warned you about that. So I apologize for that. Uh but that if you you know, that won't happen again, I'll let you know. My question is when you played, you played with a bunch of what I call no nonsense guys, uh, a bunch of guys who aren't ta- aren't gonna take crap from anybody, guys like Walter Pitts, guys like Sean Pecklove, uh, you know, guys who want you want to have your back when push comes to shove. How would they deal with the the current media today? The liberal media guys like Michael Cossa Grande. Uh, how would they deal with him back then? And, and I'm talking. This is really a question about how the way the media has evolved uh, to become uh, basically a, this dispute liberal
2: talking points like they do today.
1: How would those guys handle guys like Michael Cossa
2: back then? Well. You know, it'd be interesting to find out because you're exactly right about those guys. That they didn't take anything off off anybody, and and we were fortunate at the time. Uh, the media that was covering Alabama, uh, they were outstanding. And, and guys like Cecil Hurt, who's obviously still around and does a terrific job. But you know, if if they had to deal with some of the the stuff that that's that's being uh, talked about right now by the liberal media, and I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, Mark it's it's a shame what's going on it it would have been interesting to see now guys like Sean Peck love and Walter Pitts and Wade Kaiser they're they're no nonsense guys but uh, I'm not sure how they would have handled it because they're also professional respectful people uh, but if they had to read and hear about some of the stuff that's going on in the liberal media right now I I don't think they'd like it at all
0: yeah that's that's kind of what I was thinking as well Hey, so um, Alabama had a close secret scrimmage, and it was so secret that Mark Jennings couldn't even get into that one. I think he's coming back from a different scrimmage. And the box score gets floated around that they lose 92-66 to to Jacksonville State. And now Jacksonville State, coached by Ray Harper, they have a couple guys who started at Division One programs like Dietrich Mostella, Ty Harper. Um, but seeing a scoreline like that is, it's very alarming, I think, if you're an Alabama fan, and especially when the uh, – The team really just lost, you know, Colin Sexton. They lose Braxton Key, but you think Tevin Mack's the guy to replace him, but return most players back from NCAA tournament uh, round of 32 team. Uh, Brian, and I'm sure, Brian, maybe you've seen the the box score around or you've heard about it, but um, what can you take from something like this? Is this misleading or does this make the coach maybe think, okay, now I really know what I've got to do before the season gets started and before the games really count on the computer models, RPI, stuff like that?
2: Well, you know, I, I think the, these scrimmages are basically, it's, it's a day of practice. Uh, and, and obviously from, from the reports, it's a day of practice that didn't go the way you'd like. And you take those practices to try to improve yourself and improve as a team. And and I, I'll tell you this, if Alabama was scrimmaging Duke or North Carolina and or w- lost by 30, won by 30, um, I wouldn't put a lot into it, one way or the other. You can look around the country and see teams that uh, have won um, exhibition games by a lot of points and had bad seasons, and and teams in, in recent history uh, that have lost to Division two, II, Division three teams, uh, and gone on to win conference championships and go to Final Fours, and uh, it, it's it's just something that that I wouldn't read a lot into. I never have. I'm not I'm not going to start now, but it's also uh, something that. I think as coaches and as players, you learn from and 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 try to improve on. I, I think it's something uh, that can get your players' attention. And I didn't see the scrimmage; nobody did. It, it was a, a private scrimmage, and, and just uh, players and coaches in there. But you know, I've been uh, on teams that had scrimmages like that, and and they're all different. I mean, some sometimes you're you're running a, a true forty-minute game. Sometimes you're running. Uh, different periods, an ex, you know, three three periods, three 20-minute periods. And, you know, my understanding is that it wasn't just a 40-minute game. There was an extra period where Alabama uh, did really well and, and, and won that period uh, fairly easily. So, you know, I'm not sure exactly, um, you know, what happened, what they were working on, what the rotation was, which is why I don't read anything into it. I can tell you this. I've been to a couple practices, and I, I've watched – all these guys progress over the course of their careers. You went from last year's uh, team, which was the youngest in school history, to uh, having uh, pretty much everybody back with the exception of a few. You add a Riley Norris. You add a Tevin Mack, who will be uh, a junior, a guy that was a leading scorer for Texas uh, a couple of years ago. So you add some talent, some veterans, and I think uh, this year's team will, will look much different, and I think this team has a chance to have a great season.
0: Yeah, I think what what I was about to ask you is why Alabama fans should be excited, and you explained it pretty well there. Uh, Herb Jones is a guy that Herbert Jones, excuse me, is a guy that a lot of people talk about as being a NBA draft prospect, maybe even as soon as this year. And I think it, the ESPN guy system is maybe you know like number sixteen on their mock draft or big board or whatever. in the uh, it looks like he's a guy that can really elevate his game. A lot of potential. What What have you seen from her that that you can talk about on the podcast? What kind of uh What what big differences maybe? I know he got a haircut, uh. But what big differences maybe should fans be looking forward to seeing out of Herbert this year?
2: Well, I think he's going to give Alabama more offense. He he's one of the best defenders in the SEC, if not the country. He can do so many different things for you on the floor. At six seven, six eight, long, athletic. Uh, set an all-time record, shattered an all-time Alabama record for charges taken in a season with 23. Um, he, he's terrific on the ball. He can, he can shut down uh, the other team's best player. Uh, the, where, the area that I think he's really going to improve and Alabama fans are going to see a big difference uh, between Herbert in year one and year two is offense. Uh, he, he's a guy that can, that can score, that can shoot from three better than he showed last year. Uh, he had a wrist injury. His left wrist was bothering him all year long. Uh, had I had a brace on it, had it wrapped up for the majority of the season. And, and he's a lefty. That's his shooting hand. So I uh, wasn't able to, to knock down the perimeter shot with consistency. And I think this year he's going to be able to do that. And, you know, he's one of the reasons, along with guys like John Petty and, and, and Dante Hall, uh, why there were 35, 36 NBA scouts at Pro Day there are guys on this roster, Tevin Mack's another one, who's getting attention from the NBA scouts. And that just shows you that the talent level that Avery Johnson has been able uh, to, to build at Alabama is where you want it to be. And, and one of the reasons I'm optimistic that this team uh, can withstand the loss of, of Colin Sexton and, and have a really good year. But uh, Herbert Jones is a big part of that this year on both ends of the floor.
0: Yeah, not again, not to put too much stock in the scrimmage, but the leaked box score did have Herbert going 5 of 7 from the field, 1 of 1 from 3, 7 of 9 from the free-throw line for 18 points, and that's a very impressive shooting numbers. Like you said, it was, it's, a, it's a private scrimmage. We don't know what went on, but it, at least if you see that, that's something, uh, a bright spot from there. How about the natural pro- progression? That was a very talented freshman class last year. Colin Sexton's in the NBA now, but what about uh, – you know, John Petty, Alex Reese, I saw him on campus and it looks like he slimmed down a little bit and he's got the nice three point shooting stroke. And Galen Smith, what, what kind of progression uh, have you seen out of that particular class?
2: Well, th- those are three reasons or four why I'm, I'm really optimistic about this season because those freshmen uh, played really well in spots last year. There were inconsistencies as there always are with freshmen, uh, but I think John Petty is going to have a much more consistent year. He was one of the top three-point shooters in the SEC last year, and he only shot it well at home last year for the most part, got it going away from Coleman Coliseum uh, in St. Louis at the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament against Virginia Tech. So he's someone that that I think will use that experience in postseason to have a, a good sophomore year and, with his stroke, his ability to get hot from the three-point line, I think he's going to have a really good year. Uh, and Galen Smith was, I thought, the most improved player last year from start to finish. He, he wasn't getting a lot of minutes early on in the year and, and broke into the starting lineup. He's a true back-to-the-basket post player. Uh, he's big. He's strong. He's worked in the weight room over the summer and, and has really improved he can rebound at a high level, and, and Alex Reese is someone who has spent a ton of time in the weight room, a ton of time on the track. He's lost uh, a lot of weight, but he's gained a good bit of muscle. He looks like a much, much different player. Uh, he can He's a true stretch for can get hot from the three-point line, but now has the strength, the finish, and the quickness uh, to get to the rim. So I, I think all of those guys, along with Herbert Jones, this sophomore class uh, is, is going to really help Alabama. And I expect all those guys to show a good bit of improvement from their freshman year to their sophomore season.
0: Good deal. Uh, the point guard position is one of, uh, you know, Lou Sexton. But you got you got Dazon Ingram coming back. He's been around forever. And then Kyra Lewis. Um, just 17 years old, he reclassified into this class. And, you know, most guys who do that are already 18 or 19, but this guy could be the – I think he might be the youngest player in college basketball this year. Uh, but what what should Alabama fans expect to see out of uh, out of that position? What do you think – how do you think it may start, and how do you think that position over the course of the season evolve? And I'm, obviously Avery Johnson Jr. is back as well.
2: Yeah, I, I think Avery Sr. will have a lot of options there. Uh, Dazon Ingram – Uh, has played a lot of point over the course of his career. I'm not sure he's a natural point, uh, but he's been there. He's got the experience. I I would personally, and I I don't know this, but I would expect him uh, to start early on. Avery Jr. will be a senior. Uh, He's had a good offseason working uh, on his shot and taking care of the ball. So I think he's someone you could trust uh, at the point guard position. The future at point for Alabama is Kyra Lewis. Now, When that is, I don't know because of the things you mentioned. He's he's the youngest player in college basketball by far. He he should be a senior in high school, and he would be a young senior in high school. He's 17 years old and and won't be 18 until well after his freshman year of college at Alabama. But the guy has a lot of talent, a lot of athleticism. He has uh, speed and quickness. Uh, like a Colin Sexton. Now, he doesn't have the size and strength uh, and the ability to finish right now around the basket, uh, but I, I love what he brings to the table. He can get up and down the court as fast as anyone can shoot the three. But let's just keep in mind, Alabama fans, he's 17 years old. He ought to be in high school right now. He's going to be a great player uh, for Alabama, and it's going to come in time. I think they're going to be patient. With Kyra, because you have some veterans around him, uh, but I, I'm excited about his future.
0: All right, and uh, a couple of other freshmen. I know uh, Deontay Wood. I, think I read on Rivals.com that he's out with a foot injury, may not play this season. A uh, big, a big freshman, Javion Davis Fleming. He, he's a big guy. Uh, you expecting much out of those two guys this year? Do you think they have a chance to to crack the rotation?
2: Well, yeah. There, inj- one is injured and. Uh, Javion Fleming, Davis Fleming, uh, is someone a lot like Tyra Lewis. That that I would say that that guy has a really bright future. Uh, he he's got size, skill. He can finish around the basket. Uh, he, he reminds me of a almost a bigger version of Chuck Davis with his ability to to take what the defense gives him on the low block. He just has a good feel around the basket. Can pass. Can can uh, step back and shoot a mid range jump shot. Can go right hand or left hand with a jump hook. Just has a really good feel around the basket as a post player. The problem for him right now is there's so much depth at the front court. This is one of the deepest front courts that Alabama's had in a long time. Uh, because you, you've you got Dante Hall back as a senior. Daniel Giddens, who, who spent a lot of the year last year starting. Alex Reese, who can play the power forward a stretch for. Galen Smith, maybe the most improved player a year ago on this team. And those are all your your front court players. So uh, the, the front court for Alabama is in really good shape. And it's going to be tough uh, for a young player to break into that rotation.
1: Now, Brian, we've, we we talked. You mentioned earlier how uh, my influence led you to uh, the nation of Israel uh, to play professional basketball. And we've talked a lot, and Drew and I have on this podcast about uh, the most one of the more impressive things about Tua is the success he has, and he's had all this success, but he's also had to overcome uh, a language barrier coming over from the Polynesian islands over there. And you and Tua are similar in that you had a language barrier when you went to Israel, I assume. So what is it like uh, going to play in a place where, where, you know, you don't, you know, the coaches don't speak English and and you don't speak Yiddish. What's it like going over there and playing in a place where where you don't speak the language and there's a huge language barrier? Well, first of
2: all, it's, you know, to be compared to Tua, uh, man, that's 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 an honor. But I, I can relate uh, because, you know, going to Israel, not speaking the language, my coach did not speak a word of English, and uh, and so he would he would talk, and I would have, my teammates would kind of explain to me what was going on. They they spoke broken English uh, and could kind of explain, but basically, a lot of the time, I was just on my own and and uh, trying to figure out on my own. So, I would expect with Tua, and, and again, you you more obviously would know better than me, but I, I think he depends on his teammates a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, he's got a good feel for it. So, obviously, it hadn't been a problem for him.
1: Now, one more. You played with, you mentioned before, you played with a lot of talented NBA-level players uh, in your career, and you mentioned it. But one of them was a guy named, Named Jason Cassie, fantastic player out of Mobile. Uh, you know, this this might be this might be a little much for you to answer, but when you were were and you know, because you ran the same social circles as some of these guys, you know what they were up to. Was Jason Cassie
2: was he much of a ladies' man when he was in college? You know, it, it, it's been a while, and, and Jason, um, yeah, he 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 enjoyed. Um, the social aspect of being a college athlete in Alabama. Uh, he was not alone in that. Several football players and, and basketball players that that I uh, hung out with and, and would spend time socially. They they enjoyed that, and uh, Jason was no different. He was a, a great player, and you know, we played together uh, for four years. And obviously, he had some big success uh, at the NBA level uh, playing with a guy by the name of Michael Jordan and winning championships together. Uh, he was a, a great player and and, and Mark, yeah he did he enjoyed the social aspect of things but uh, he was a terrific player and, and, and we've uh, actually connected here lately uh, exchanging some text messages he's back in Mobile and, and doing really well.
0: Well, that's great. Uh, maybe maybe he can come on on a future podcast with Mark Jennings. Do you think he'd be up for that, Brian?
2: Oh, I'm sure he would.
0: Good deal. Well, hey, uh, Brian. Now, uh, not many people get this opportunity. Now it's your chance to go one on one with Mark Jennings and ask him a few questions.
2: Well, awesome, Mark. Um, you know, first, and and I know it's 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 been a it's been a long time, but um, I want to find out when when you were breaking down my Film, when I was in high school in the in the late eighties and you know early nineties, ninety, 1991 Did you have a, a player that you compared me to uh when when I was a recruit? Brian, that that is a great
1: question. I'm so glad you asked. And part of the reason why I was able to convince Coach Kelensky to to start recruiting you is because when I watched you in high school and I went to all your games against Effingham County and and Statesboro and going all the way over Georgia to watch you play. You remind me a lot of a guy uh out of out of Notre Dame, I believe, went and went on and played a successful career, I believe played some years with Jason Caffey. I'm not I don't follow the the pro game uh like I do the high school game. But you remind me a lot of a guy who had a great shot, uh but but really uh, when he was coming out of high school, had a lot to learn on the defensive end, but was able to put in the work and worked hard to become a much better player. And of course, I'm talking about John Paxson. Drew, do you remember John Paxson or Brian? Do you remember John Paxton?
2: Oh,
0: absolutely. It, yeah, I remember. I think I remember him as well, Mark.
1: Well, that's the comparison I made to Coach Wentz, and I said, as soon as I said the words John Paxson, his eyes lit up, and he said, "We got to go after this guy." So, you know, that was a long time ago. That was almost that was two and a half decades ago. But, yeah, I still, you know, my player comparisons, Drew, I the, you know, I, they're in the back of my head. I, can, I remember them, like, you know, like where I parked my car or where I left my keys. I'm never going to forget that. And so I, I remember my Brian passing comparison, you know, I, could, I, I on my deathbed, you know, you could ask me who I compared a certain player
2: to and I'll be able to tell you. Man, that Mark, that's awesome. I, I was a, a huge uh, John Paxson fan uh, it, when he played for the Bulls and, and Notre Dame, and man, that, that's awesome. I, I, I'm I'm honored. I appreciate that. And yeah, I, I wanted to ask you get into some football uh, if you don't mind. And you know, with big game coming up, just wondering what what you can tell us about Damian Harris, and obviously only three carries against UT. Uh, what's his status for LSU, and you know what do you know about Damien?
1: Well, I can't. You know, you know how I can't share all. First off, that's a great question, and thank you for asking me that. Uh, you know, I'm kind of surprised we weren't asked that last week. Uh, but you know, I know what happened with Damien Harris. It's an internal thing, uh, and that's been taken care of. I obviously cannot release what happened to to to, to Damien Harris and, and why he only got so many carries. Uh, last week on the podcast, or so anyone in the world can hear. I can't betray my sources that way, but you can rest assured he's going to be back to full strength and getting his uh his full allotment of carries versus LSU this coming Saturday.
2: Okay, great. That that's great to know. I appreciate you answering that. Um, so, Mark, let, let me ask you. Or, first of all, Alabama fans um, have I, I'm, I'm I'm very appreciative, and you've been thanked countless times by. Alabama fans for your role in working with Greg Byrne to bring back Dixieland Delight. light. Can, can you share uh with me and, and with your audience what you guys are currently working on? Um and, and maybe, you know, from an in game music standpoint. And, and and also just are you willing to take suggestions to take uh to Mr. Byrne?
0: Well,
1: I'm I'm always open up to suggestions. Um you know uh Dixieland Light, it was a thing where you know I I don't have a dog in the fight I don't really care but whenever any of my customers came up to my dipping Dot stand they would always mention uh bringing bringing Dixieland Light back and you know I talk to Mr. Byrne weekly we have a, a conference a call that we do uh based on and we talk about my dipping dot sales and where my stands are going to be in the stadium so we talk about that weekly The next thing that I'm going to try to get fixed is bringing back uh, uh, Rammer Jammer before the game. You know, they play Rammer Jammer after the game. People love it. You know, Alabama wins. They play the song. What I'm trying to do right now, what I'm trying to, you know, I have listened to my customers. They want to bring back Rammer Jammer before the game. And that's what I'm trying to do right now. It's probably not going to happen this year since there are so few home games left. Uh, but for next year, we're trying to bring back Rammer Jammer. That's the next. That's my next goal with Mr. Byrne. I'm very lucky; he respects me a lot, as as not only for my film analysis and the the, the contacts I have in the college football industry, but for my my success as a businessman and my business acumen. So, I'm very lucky that Mr. Byrne listens to me. But in the next year, I'm trying to bring back Rammer Jammer before the game. Brian, now you asked that, Brian. Do you have any suggestions that you would like to make? So I can call well, to Mr.
2: Byrne next. I can I can let him know. Well, first of all, I mean I, I'm I'm so excited to hear that uh, because I, I'm a huge fan of Rammer Jammer. Um, I, I think it's incredible after the game. I think it's even better before the game to to let the opponents know what's coming. And I can remember uh, as a recruit coming to Coleman Coliseum when you know, when you got Coach Polinski and Coach Sanderson uh to recruit me that I they would play it before the game. And it was just such a cool thing to hear and from a as a recruit twenty years ago, I, I loved it. So uh that is awesome uh to hear that, that you guys are, are working on that. And you're you're gonna be talking to, to Mr. Byrne about that. And and again, this isn't I could take it or leave it. I'm good. I'm not a big basket case uh guy. That's you know not something I, I enjoy, uh, but you know if, if they want to play at that's fine. You know, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, but uh, that would be one I'd I'd like to to replace. But um, no, that's great. That that that's awesome to hear.
1: Well, the, the one thing I've learned from my consumers
2: uh, of my my Dippin'
1: Dots is they don't like basket case either. But you know it's like when you go to a buffet, at, at, at you know I love Gold Corral. When you go to the buffet and there's only one food offered at the table, you're going to say, yeah, I want that, that one food that's offered. You know, When the band goes around and they say, do you want basket case, and they don't offer anything else, of course you're going to say you don't want basket case, or you want basket case. So that's what we're all left with. I would like a little more variation in, in yeah. the options that the band plays uh for for the beginning of the fourth quarter. I don't think Pine basket case would be an intimidating song. You know, I don't know if you're 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 into coaching or not these days, but if I'm a coach and I'm on the road, it's an intimidating environment and and the, they start playing basket case, that's not a very intimidating for me. It's gonna be really easy to get my guys ready to play or, or whoever. So I, I that's that's next on the list after Rammer Jammers get rid of basket case.
2: Okay. That that's awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your, your dip and Dots uh, business. You've obviously been extremely successful with it, but I think most people around the country know you for what you've accomplished over your career in athletics. Um, are there any overlapping traits that that's led to success in, in both of those areas for you?
1: Well, you know, uh, what I learned when I just started out in the industry in recruiting and breaking down film. It's all about people and developing relationships with people and letting them know that they're important and really fulfilling their needs and, and and how to improve their lives. And you really take that type of attitude towards breaking down film as really the same tools that you need to be a successful businessman. It's about It's about people. What makes the consumer happy? What makes the athlete happy that you're trying to get noticed? These are all, these are all the same thing. It's, you know, it's a lot of common sense involved here. And I think this as a successful businessman, as a successful really uh, maybe the greatest recruiting expert uh, in the history of college football, they're all the same thing. It's all about getting to know people and developing those relationships. You know, look at your family, Brian. I got to know you and your family very well. And before you know it, I was over at your house for Thanksgiving dinner. Business is not very different. You got to know people, whether it's from your supplier and, and, and their, and knowing their logistics and knowing their supply chain and knowing your customers very well. It's all the same thing, you know. It's a, it's a relationship world. You have to be able to develop relationships with all these people, whether it's in the recruiting world or the business world. And that's really what what has caused me to come into my my great wealth and the reason I've been so successful as a business person and as a recruiting analyst.
2: Yeah, that, that's interesting. And, and that makes a lot of sense to me, I'm in the business world and in athletics. And, you know, those are things that, that I can apply and learn from. And I think a lot of people listening uh, can as well. Now, I want to ask you about when you break down middle school film, what are you looking for that, that may be different than when you're breaking down high school or, or college film? And, Why do you think it is that that more recruiting analysts don't do that? Well,
1: the reason they don't do it is because it's really difficult to do. You know, you're looking at kids in middle school. It's very hard for the naked eye, for people who have not been in the recruiting business very long, to understand what is going to cause the athletic and physical growth and really the mental growth as well of those players. You know, a middle school player might not be able to read a defense very well as a quarterback, but you can watch him play three or four plays, and I can look and say, well, he's a smart player. If he works hard, he can figure it out and be able to learn how to read the defense or learn where the hole's going to be or learn, you know, whether the as a defensive back, whether well, you should cover the flat or you should drop back and play zone. These are things that, that the naked eye is hard to do, but thankfully to my years of expertise, I'm able to figure those things out, and I can look at a body shape and figure out how a player is going to develop and how a player's going to grow. And if a player has going to have, have the frame to put on more muscle and keep the same speed. You know, these are all you know, I have my charts and I say that a person who runs a four nine when in the seventh grade should be running a four five when he's in senior high school. That's that's simple stuff. You know, you can you could do recruiting breakdowns for a couple of years and develop those charts. But it's really the eye test to be able to understand what's going on inside the mind of the player. That's what makes it so difficult, and why there are so many novices around in the recruiting industry. You see them a lot on these subscription sites. These subscription sites have guys who are novices, but once you really get into it, get into that deeper level of what's going inside the mind of that 13-year-old when he or she is making that play. That's what a lot of people don't get, and that's what thankfully I'm blessed to be able to, to comprehend and understand that when I'm breaking down film.
2: Yeah, no, that's 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 interesting, and. You know, in, in my opinion, that that's one of the reasons you're the best in the business uh, because you're doing something that that other people, even if they wanted to, I'm just not sure they have the eye for it. So uh, that that's that's great stuff. So I wanted to ask you because I know you have an eye uh, for long snappers and holders. Tell me who your all-time favorite long snapper and holders are, and, and also. Where do guys like Jackson Cook and, and Brian Deal rank uh, in in those areas for you? Well, they're up there. You know, when you're
1: talking about Alabama football, you know we got these names. You know, LSU likes to think themselves as defensive back university, and you know, Ohio State likes to be long, you know, linebacker university. Alabama really is long snapper university. You know, you look at the guys that have come to the program, guys like Nick Riding, Jackson. Cook and Chester Lewis and Matthew Pine and Carson Zinker. These are some of the all-time greats when it comes to long snapping. So, I, I think they're up there. Uh, you know, Cole Mazza, Thomas Fletcher, of course, who I think is the greatest long snapper in the history of the sport. He's up there. You know, you're talking about holders. You're talking about Brian Deal that you mentioned. He's up there. He's up there with Larry Abney. Uh, lots of great holders. You know, I think Gabe Gardenia was a great holder back in the early 2000s. You got a lot of guys out there uh, who were just incredibly talented, but you're asking me to rank guys, and, and you know, it's like, who's a better basketball player, you know, Shaquille O'Neal or Michael Jordan? You know, they're, they're both great. It's hard to say which one's better or who's better, Wilt Chamberlain or Bill Russell. These are just the guys at the top of their game and it's incredibly difficult to me to say one is better than the other. But the guys you mentioned, uh, they're at the top of everybody else, and, and and I think the Alabama fans should just be appreciative to have some, such great special teams people come through. And, you know, nobody talks about special teams. I'm not going to go on that rant today, but, but you know, special teams are important. They put points on the board for you, the Alabama's been very blessed throughout their 115, 120-year history of college football that they've been able to have some of the greatest long snappers and greatest holders to, to in the history of the game to walk through campus.
2: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, uh, you know, for me, Jackson Cook, Brian Deal. I think Brian Deal doesn't get the credit he deserves as a holder because most people remember him as a punter, and he was a terrific punter. Uh, but I used to watch him when I was in college put the ball down for, for uh, Michael Proctor and always – you know, put it down, laces out, had the, the the correct tilt on it. Just made it really easy uh, on on Michael Proctor and uh, you know catching those snaps from uh, Jackson and Chester. Uh, just fun to watch, and you know, it was one of the great things about going to Alabama and playing basketball, getting to to watch football practice when I was there. And um, so, but here for my last question, I want to I want to take it back uh, to to basketball and get your thoughts on. If and ask you, if you've had a chance to break down film on some of Alabama's practice players and walk-ons, and, and if so, what can you tell us about some of those unsung heroes?
1: Well, I'll I the walk-ons of Alabama basketball, I believe, you're talking about Tyler Barnes and
2: Britton Johnson, is that correct? It is, and you know I don't even consider Lawson Schaefer a, a walk-on. He's one of the most program, uh, popular players in program history, and you know, I, I I don't consider him a walk-on. His parents might because they're paying, you know, they're paying tuition in Alabama. But, uh, yeah, when I talk about walk-ons, I, I was I was thinking about uh, Tyler Barnes and Britton Johnson.
1: Well, uh, we'll start with Tyler Barnes first. You know, I, I, I'd like him to put on a little more weight, but I like him as a player. He comes from the state of Kentucky. You know, the state of Kentucky. You know, it's it's in the drinking water. I don't know what it is, but they're all great basketball players. So he grows up in Kentucky, Kentucky and Kentucky and knows how to play the game at the State of Xavier High School. He's 6'8", 205. He's got a lot of skill. Uh, you know, if he went to the NBA out of this year, I would tell him it's a bad idea. He needs to stay in college a little more years, a few more years. And it's the same thing I told another player about two decades ago, that he needs to stay and go, and go to college instead of going to the NBA straight out of high school. And, of course, I'm talking about Darius Miles. Brian, do you remember Darius Miles?
2: I sure do. He was a great player.
1: Fantastic player, but he needed to really develop his skills in the college game, and that's the same way I feel about Tyler Barnes. So I'm glad Tyler Barnes is in college right now, really developing his skills, and I expect him to be a high NBA draft pick one day. The other guy is Britton Johnson, the 6'4", 180-pound sharp shooter out of Mountain Brook, plays for a great coach, and my good friend Bucky McMillan over there in Mountain Brook, uh, I I love Bucky a lot. I think he's one of the best basketball coaches in the state of Alabama and really all throughout the South. Uh, really knows what he's doing, it, and you really can see by the number of state championships he's won how successful he's been. So I I but I like his former player Brian Johnson a lot. He's a six 180 pound. Really can shoot three. What I'm struggling with right now is him as a player. Is right now he's a little He's a little slow. He lacks lateral quickness. He doesn't have the athletic ability that you really need to be a big-time defender. But he can go to college and really work on it and uh, and really become a good defender and a serviceable defender, which for his offensive skills, he doesn't need to be, you know, NBA Defensive Player of the Year out there. He needs to be serviceable and get some stops a few times. And as I say that, he remembers a lot of you, Brian. He remembers a lot of Brian passing out there. When he was playing at Benedictine High School in Savannah, and I would go see him play uh, over in East Georgia and all those teams and make those long road trips to watch him, so – uh, those that's what I think about those guys. So uh, yeah, there you go. I, I like those guys a lot. I'm glad Tyler Barnes is playing in, is is staying in school, and I expect Britton Johnson to really develop as a really more effective player and a contributor for Alabama in the years to come.
2: Yeah that that that's outstanding. I I was watching both of those guys at at pro day um, with the NBA scouts watching, thinking those very same things. So it always Makes me me feel uh, confident when when you and I agree, and I definitely agree with that, which tells me I'm on the right track. So thank you.
0: Yeah, Brian, how does it make you feel knowing that? I mean, this is finally the guy that 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 Mark has found that he can compare uh, to you.
2: Well, I, I mean, it's a you're talking about uh, John Paxson.
0: Uh, no, but uh, uh, Britton Johnson. He compared Britton Johnson to you.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, it's surreal, you know, to go back uh, a couple of decades ago and those conversations that that we had around the Thanksgiving uh, table about my future and things I needed to do to get better. Uh, it's just amazing that that here we are uh, talking on the podcast and and somebody getting. I can't even comprehend it. it it's awesome and it, it's an honor.
0: That's great. It's great to hear. Well, we've gone on for quite a bit. Uh, Brian, I really appreciate you coming on and spending a Sunday night with us talking about the entire basketball roster. I know we didn't get to everybody, uh, but, uh, it, you know, despite what was leaked on the Internet about the scrimmage, I think it's going to be a good year for Alabama basketball as well. Really looking forward to uh, to seeing them in action this Tuesday in the exhibition and the following Tuesday against Southern. So, yeah, thanks again for joining Mark and I on the podcast. Mark and me. Well, thanks so much.
2: Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it, and looking forward to a great year of Alabama basketball.
0: And Mark, uh, thanks again for taking your time to to, to uh, express your thoughts to our listeners.
1: Drew, I, I, I appreciate it because it's take I'm on this long drive right now. I'm driving back home, and, and I, I, it's great for me. You got to spend time being on this podcast with you, and you know how much I love I love it and how you know what's the highlight of my week, and I say it every week, but I say it every week because I mean it, and I love sharing my expertise with you and your listeners, and I can't wait to do it again next week And we can talk about some more. Maybe there's another commitment or two next week we can talk about, but I can't wait to talk to you then.
0: That's right, and that'll wrap up this edition of the Champs Corner Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. And until next time, we will talk to you guys next week.